0: We're going to dive right in with James chapter 3 as we continue on through this book. We're about halfway through the third chapter. And all throughout this book, James asks a bunch of questions. A bunch of rhetorical questions, 23 times. 23 times throughout the book, he asks a question to bring his readers along, to bring them along in his line of thinking and to drive home his point. And here in James chapter 3 verse 13, is one of those where he says, who is wise and understanding among you? You know, this, this question here, I find it kind of funny how James uses it. He basically asks for a show of hands. Who here is wise? Who here has it figured out? Who Who has understanding? Who are the best people to come to if I need guidance for something? But then James quickly lets us know that he isn't really looking to them to answer the question. The rest of verse 13 there. Who is wise at understanding among you? Put your hands down. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. When it comes to being wise, James isn't interested in what people have to say. He's not going to just take someone's word for it. He wants life proof. He wants to see a good life. And what is that good life? James says it's deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Notice here that James comes back to deeds. In the previous chapter, chapter two, in verse 18 and in verse 26, James wrote, I will show you my faith by my deeds and faith without works is dead. So true faith is verified by what we do. And that same thing holds true for wisdom. True wisdom is verified by what we do, by how we live. But our deeds themselves aren't the primary focus here. What James is really drawing our attention to is how those deeds are done. There in verse 13, if you're wise, show it by your good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom humility. The NIV translates that Greek word humility there. But depending on the translation you may be looking at at home, your Bible might say meekness or gentleness. And throughout the Bible, this word is usually translated either meek or gentle. And that's one, one thing that's, that's kind of cool about reading the Bible in multiple translations is sometimes that word, a word, is translated differently because it has different flavors to it, different different, not meanings, but a a bigger meaning than we have one word to encapsulate. And so James uses this word here that is about humble, gentle meekness. And that's what defines a good life. A good life is one that's full of doing good with the humble, gentle meekness that comes from wisdom. Wisdom. James continues on here and, and makes sure to clarify that not all the things that passes wisdom are, are the things he's talking about. They don't, aren't the things that lead to this, this good life. So he spends the next few verses laying out a contrast between counterfeit wisdom and genuine wisdom. Verses 14 through 16, James describes counterfeit wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, spiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. I love how the NIV here puts the word wisdom in air quotes. It picks up on James's tone that this isn't the real deal. This kind of wisdom is counterfeit. It's fake. But reading those verses, it sounds like it would be a really, really obvious fake, right? I mean, I read this and I think, okay, demonic wisdom that leads to every kind of evil practice that feels like I should be able to spot that a mile away. But the reality is this type of wisdom is really convincing. And we're often duped into accepting this kind of wisdom all the time and operating from this sort of wisdom all the time. And it all starts with allowing envy and selfish ambition to take up residence in our hearts. Envy leads us to constantly compare and measure ourselves against other people and what they have and opportunities that they've been given. They have the house that I want. They have the job that I want. They have the playing time on the team that I want. They have the reputation that I want, the opportunities that I want, the, the, the trips that I want, the bank account that I want. And, and you know at times we may even really like the person. We're just a little bit salty that they got that job or that they live in that house. And envy leads us to this line of thinking that if we could just get that one thing, that one thing out there, then then I would have a good life. Then I would have the good life. And then James calls out selfish ambition. and, And let's clarify something here. That first word is important. James isn't saying ambition is bad, but selfish ambition is. Another way of thinking about this is to think about the word rivalry. It's not just working hard to achieve a goal that we've set for ourselves. It's angling and plotting and maneuvering against other people in pursuit of those goals. So it's not just that I want to do well, it's that I want to do well at the expense of others. In school, in school, I don't just want to get a good grade on the test. I want to get a better grade than that girl who just thinks she's so smart. At work, I don't just want to get a promotion. I want to be promoted instead of that guy who the boss just thinks is perfect. And you know what? This shows up in smaller ways too, everyday kind of ways, where we we hear somebody else get a compliment about the work they've done or whether they've helped someone. And instead of celebrating with that, instead of agreeing with that, we think, oh, I mean, I do that too. Don't they see what I've been putting in? If they really knew how this went, they would be saying that about me and not them. Do they even notice that I'm better than them? Selfish." Ambition. And then as verse 15 says, this kind of me first counterfeit wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's some strong language from James. Now, earthly and unspiritual kind of carry the same idea here. This kind of wisdom is earth bound. It's from earth. And because of that, it's short-sighted and limits us to an earthly perspective. It's incapable of taking heaven and eternity into account. It doesn't take spiritual things into account. It's unspiritual. So God is not a part of the equation with this type of wisdom. It's about what I can figure out, what I can, what I can think through, what, what makes sense to me. And it's just about earth stuff and unspiritual stuff. They cannot think about heaven and eternity. And that right there is what's so deceiving about this kind of counterfeit wisdom. It makes sense to us, actually. If we can be convinced that a good life is found here in a relationship, in a job, or what people think of me, then then I will envy the people who have what I think I need in order to have that good life life. And I'll try to try to maneuver around and put down other people in order to achieve that thing that I think I need to have this good life. I will set my ambition on those things those earthly things that I think will satisfy. And the cruelty of this is that none of it really satisfies. It can't satisfy, not in any lasting way. Yeah, that remodeled kitchen or that new car might make me smile and say, yeah, that's it. That's the feeling I've been longing for, for a few days. But everything in this world is fading away and so are the pleasures that they can bring to us, the pleasures that they can give. So with this earthly, unspiritual wisdom, we short-sightedly run from one compliment to the next, one possession to the next, one job to the next, thinking that there's just one missing piece and then my life will lock into place and it will be good. It's like what we sang about in that first song. I've searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. It couldn't satisfy because God is ultimately the only one who can satisfy us. And earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom cannot take that into account. But James doesn't just leave it here at short-sighted. He says that it is full out demonic. This fake wisdom, this counterfeit wisdom is full out demonic. The devil loves this. The devil loves this. He, he loves keeping us chasing after anything and everything other than God. He even leads us to things that bring small measures of satisfaction so that we think that we're duped into thinking that the next thing will, will actually get us all of that satisfaction that we're looking for. He keeps us chasing after all these things and keeping us distracted from God. And also this kind of wisdom, this counterfeit wisdom, it leads to the things that the devil loves. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. This is a guarantee. Envy and selfish ambition never come alone where they are, disorder and every evil practice are sure to follow. And every evil practice here means every evil practice. When I hear that, my brain runs to like the most horrific things you can possibly think of. But every evil practice also includes those things that we have convinced ourselves aren't so bad after all. So every evil practice includes murder and favoritism, genocide and greed, abuse and ungratefulness, human trafficking and white lies. All of these things, Every evil practice is the fruit of this earthly demonic wisdom. And they come from people like us trying to get what we think will make our lives good. Every evil practice is there in the little white lies that we tell to make ourselves look better so that other people will think better of us It's in the rumor and gossip that I spread about somebody else trying to knock them down a peg so so maybe I can look better. This counterfeit wisdom ultimately is so self-focused. It is entirely self-focused. But then James moves on from describing this counterfeit wisdom to describe true wisdom and how it lives for others, how it puts others first. In verse 17, we see a description of genuine wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James makes clear here that this wisdom comes from heaven. It is from God. It is a gift from God. And because of that, it can be trusted. We can trust this wisdom. And thinking back to the first chapter of James, early on in James chapter one, verse five, he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. God gifts this wisdom. He wants to give us this kind of wisdom. And since this wisdom comes from God because it comes from heaven, it has an eternal perspective. It sees beyond this world to the things that ultimately matter. After after making clear that this wisdom doesn't come from earth, doesn't come from the devil, it comes from God, he moves on to then describe what this wisdom looks like. He says, it's first of all, pure. It is pure. Genuine wisdom always leads us to do what is good. Every single time, genuine wisdom leads us to act and to think and to speak in ways that we won't later have to ask God forgiveness for. And that makes complete sense when we think about the one that this wisdom comes from. If God is the source and giver of this wisdom, it must be pure. It must lead me to live in a way that he says is good and he, the way that he wants us to, in a way that leads us closer to him. It is first of all, this wisdom is first of all pure. Impurity, sin, separates us from God. So wisdom from God would lead us closer to him in ways that are pure, that are sinless and good. And this stands in clear contrast with what James wrote about the evil that comes from following fake wisdom. Let's put it this way counterfeit wisdom leads to every kind of evil, but genuine wisdom doesn't lead to any kind of evil. Counterfeit wisdom leads to every imaginable kind of evil, but genuine wisdom from God doesn't lead to any kind of evil because it's pure. So genuine genuine wisdom is first of all, pure. And then it is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And, And when I read that list this week, after I spent some time with it, something struck me. I noticed what isn't on that list. Did you notice James here? He doesn't say true wisdom from God is insightful and knowledgeable and educated and profound. And that's because James is is leading us to see here that genuine wisdom isn't measured mentally. It's measured relationally. Genuine wisdom isn't measured mentally. It's measured relationally. Relationally in how I relate to God and and the, the purity of my relationship to him and how I interact with other people. It's not about how good I am at giving advice or how good I am at pulling out Bible verses that apply to a given situation. It's relational. And James here specifies what types of things in how we relate to one another and we relate to the world around us and people, what types of things we need to be on the lookout for to be able to identify true wisdom. First, he says, it's peace loving. And this isn't just like peace and quiet. The peace and harmony where everything is as it should be. Because peace isn't just a a lack of fighting, a lack of people going at each other. It's a lack of animosity in the hearts. It's a lack of friction and dissension. It's everything being as it should be. And so this peace isn't individual. It's not, well, I don't feel tension, so we must all be good. But true peace says, unless we're all good, none of us here are good. None of us are here just putting on a happy face to hide the frustrations and the tension that we're feeling. I don't, like, I don't know about you, but maybe you've, maybe you've been to a family reunion where everyone kind of knows there are no-fly zones. There are things that you do not talk about. You do not bring it up. You don't bring up, What happened last Thanksgiving? You don't bring up politics. You don't bring up religion. You don't bring up that family member that did that one thing that one time. Now that family reunion, there may not be fighting and bickering, but there isn't true peace there. That's not true peace. That's that's like a a charade of niceness. But wise people, people who love peace, want tension and wrongs to be brought out into the light to be fully exposed so that we can deal with them together and have true deep peace and unity with one another. Peace that doesn't have to hide something in order to exist. Wise people love peace. And next, truism is considerate. Your Bible might say gentle. Basically, this means don't be harsh. Just because you could force your way doesn't mean you should. Think about this with me and my kids, all right? My kids are six, five, and two. And after dinner, sometimes, I mean, they just kind of go crazy before bedtime. They're running around, running in circles, jumping on the couch, screaming, laughing, giggling, having a good time. And eventually, though, it's time to shut it down and go get ready for bed. And so I say, come on, guys, time to brush your teeth, get your PJs on. And they keep laughing and running and jumping on the couch like they didn't hear me. So I say again, guys, come on, time to get ready for bed. More laughing, more running, more acting like I didn't say anything. And in that moment, I have a choice of what kind of wisdom I'm going to employ in dealing with my kids. I could follow the lead of my anger and be harsh and be like, guys, stop it. Go brush your teeth. And you know what? That would probably work to get them to to go brush their teeth. But is that the best way to go? What if I was gentle? What if I chased them and then tackled them onto the couch, gave them a couple tickles and said, all right, guys, all right, here we go. It's time to get ready for bed. Considering how gentle and patient God has been with me, in my running away from him, in my ignoring his voice, the gentle response seems a lot more like the kind of wisdom that would come From him. The next word here James uses to describe it is submissive. Now, some of your Bibles say open to reason, which for me, submissive and open to reason, they don't really sound like synonyms. But it really makes sense when we get a fuller picture of what James is saying here. You know, this is the only place that this Greek word is found in the entire New Testament. And it essentially means compliant or trusting. It describes someone who is easy to come to terms with because they're already willing. It describes someone who's predisposed to say, yeah, sure. So genuine wisdom sounds a lot like us saying, yep, no problem. I'll get right on that. Sounds good. As much as possible. He's essentially saying, when somebody asks something of you, be quick to say yes. Don't make life harder on them. Kids, teens, man, if, if you guys can grasp this kind of wisdom, I promise you your relationship with your parents and your teachers will be transformed. Time to pick up your toys. Okay. Would you please set the table for dinner? No problem. Are you done with your chores yet? Ah, not yet, I forgot, but I'll go do them right now. No whining, no complaining, no grumbling, no eye rolling. Parents, teachers, babysitters are all right now saying yes. But this applies just, much, just as much to us as adults. Like for me, when my wife asks me to put my phone away, what's my response excuses and agitation or, ah, yeah, babe, sorry, no problem. Or your boss says that he wants to change the way that you do reporting. Is the response of, but the, uh but, and grumbling about having to learn a new way of doing something or is it, yeah, no problem. How do you think wisdom would have us respond then when we see a sign that says, please wear a mask. Sure, no problem. Too often we think that living wisely requires us to be skeptical and cynical and scrutinize everything until we find some small detail that doesn't quite line up. And so we call that discernment and wisdom, but that's not genuine wisdom. Wisdom wants to comply with others. It's inclined to say yes. More quickly than on these last few, wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. Genuine wisdom is always ready to forgive, to let go of grudges, to let go of offenses. And wisdom from above is impartial and sincere. Kondo spoke about this a few weeks ago. God doesn't want us to play favorites. Wisdom from him doesn't lead us to treat the CEO better than the barista. Selfish ambition does. But not wisdom from God. And finally, wisdom, the sincerity of wisdom. Wisdom. It fosters a heart that genuinely cares for others, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Now here, after describing what genuine wisdom looks like, James tells us what the outcome of true wisdom is. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness, James 3.18. A peacemaker. This, this could be understood as sort of an umbrella term for people who embody the kind of wisdom James has just described. They love peace. They're gentle. They're full of mercy. Peacemakers are the people James would say are truly wise and understanding. And I don't think it's an accident here that James uses a farming analogy. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, I don't know a lot about farming. I know a little bit, but not, not a lot. But one of the things I do know is that growing crops takes time. It takes a long time. Farmers go out and they plant and they sow, but the harvest doesn't pop up overnight. It takes patience and it's hard work. And living out of truism is the same thing. It's hard work and takes time for the results to come. But it says here that the results that the harvest is righteousness. In other words, the harvest is the best good that there is. It is the eternal and perfect good that this is, that is the harvest from being a peacemaker who sows in peace. And that's a perspective that's impossible for earthly unspiritual wisdom to have only Wisdom from heaven, wisdom from God sees the value of righteousness, of justice and of peace. But let's have a moment of honesty here. This kind of wisdom that James describes, it doesn't sound like it will get much done. We're supposed to just be gentle and compliant peacemakers and then we have to wait forever for good stuff to happen. That sounds more like a recipe to get trampled on, to get run over by people. We can think, you know, it's naive to think that we can bring about good in this dark and evil and twisted world if we act like that. We need a stronger approach. That might've worked for James or maybe James was just naive, but either way, that doesn't work anymore. And so it's tempting to abandon God's call to peace here out of a desire to make things right quickly, to think that we need, what we need are peacemakers who sow in fear and force, peacemakers who sow in threats and demands. If peacemakers are going to get the job done, they need to be able to flex their muscles a little bit and push people around in order to bring about some good. And we are tempted to do this on a large scale. We are so tempted to do this on a large scale, but it also hits home in our everyday lives. When we want to just shut people down who have a different perspective than us. When we want to see people who disagree with us be humiliated in a viral video. We want to see them canceled. Whether it's me doing it or not, I like to see when my enemies are mocked and made fun of because I think that will bring about this good ends that I care about so much. But that's us justifying ungodly means to achieve a righteous ends. But that's not how this works. Remember, wisdom from God is first of all, pure. It does not lead us through evil in order to get to a good end. If my kids are arguing, I will be tempted to come in and dominate them with my volume and my authority to bring peace through sowing fear and by sowing threats out of my anger. But listen to what God has to say in Isaiah 55. This is God talking. He says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's way of doing things won't always make sense to us. It will seem counterintuitive. It'll seem backwards and upside down. And at times it will seem weak, but you know what else seems weak? Getting nailed to a cross. That seems like the worst possible way to save the world, but it's exactly what was needed to pay for our sins, pay for my sin and bring peace between me and a holy God. It took Jesus as a peacemaker, sowing peace with his own body, being planted in a tomb for three days to break out of that grave, bring with him a harvest of all those who have put their faith in him, who will be raised with him. So either we trust that God knows best about how to bring about a good and righteous end, or we don't. Either we believe that he will bless the work of peacemakers who sow in peace, or we think that there's a better way than what God says to bring about something that we believe is good. And that's the same mistake people made in Jesus's day. They were waiting for Messiah to come who would come in power to quickly destroy their enemies. But Jesus rejected all that. And he told his disciples that he would have to die on a cross. And Peter, one of his disciples said, no, 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 no. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You aren't thinking about the things of God. Jesus, instead of coming in power to crush earthly enemies, he came gently and meekly and humbly and died instead of dominated. And in doing so, he secured a victory beyond anything we could ever imagine. After all of this, I wonder what James would say about our lives, about my life. Would he look at me and say, yeah. Yeah, you, you're, you are wise and understanding. I mean, how does it sound to drop my name in that verse? Kyle is first of all, pure. Man, I, I know I mess up every single day. I know that my motives aren't pure and my thoughts aren't pure and the things I say aren't pure, the things I do aren't pure. Kyle is then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I cringe at parts of that because I know how I can hold a grudge and how I can play favorites, how I can put on a nice face instead of truly caring about someone. And I know how I can be harsh and force my way. And I can be selfish and envious. Put, put your name in there. How does it sound? Which of those of you here and think, ah, ah, that just, that doesn't sound like me. None of our names sound right in that verse, if we're being honest. And if you think your name fits, ask a family member or a friend what they think. Embrace yourself. Truth be told, there's only one name that sounds right in there. In First Corinthians 1, it says twice that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the one who came down from heaven. Jesus is the one who is first of all pure. He was tempted in every way yet remained without sin. And because of his purity, I have been made completely pure. My sin washed away by his blood. And Jesus is the one who shows us what it means to truly love peace. So much so that he was willing to die and suffer to bring about true reconciliation and peace. Jesus is so gentle and kind and he was quick to say yes to taking our sin upon himself and dying on the cross in our place. And Jesus is so full of mercy, so full of mercy. So merciful that even from the cross he prayed, Father, forgive him. They don't know what they're doing about the people who nailed him to the tree. And Jesus is still always ready to forgive every evil deed that we've done out of our envy and selfish ambition. And Jesus is impartial and sincere. He gladly, gladly welcomes anyone who will come to receive his grace because his love extends to everyone no matter what. So let's follow in Jesus's footsteps and live a good life full of deeds done in the humble gentleness that comes from the wisdom of God. So God, I pray that you would make this true of us. That you would make us more and more like Jesus. That we would be pure and love peace and be merciful and put others before ourselves. God, may we find our satisfaction and our hope in you. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus to show us what this looks like. May we follow hard after him. It's in his name that we pray, amen.